It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 866 Columnist Adam Goodman will be with us shortly. Uh, he's a Republican strategist. He used to advise Rudy Giuliani. Actually helps some Democrats, too. And uh, this fascinating poll just came out. It has Donald Trump winning in Florida and up one point in Arizona. Martha McSally trailing about a point. I want to get his take on that. And if you watch these rallies, you used to say to yourself, look, I wish they were wearing masks, number one. Number two, the president it seems really upbeat. Disciplined to a degree, but disciplined overall in his campaign to, uh, to the nth degree. And he is just outworking Joe Biden, and it might just be paying off. But there's still a long way to go. Debate six days away. So let's get to the big three. Troubling new signs of a new coronavirus surge in the U.S. during a week that's seen the nation's death toll top 200,000. Wow. Uh, COVID-19, number one target. And to the president, it's China. And let's loose on the communist power on the U.N. yesterday about the virus. This is we passed 200,000 deaths as case rise in 27 states and an aid package languishes in the House to the point where Dems are about to defect on Pelosi and do a deal with Republicans. Stay tuned. Number two. Topics have been revealed for the first debate between President Trump and Joe Biden. Chris Wallace of Fox News will moderate Tuesday night. The debate will be broken into six 15-minute segments. The topics are the Trump and Biden records, the Supreme Court, COVID-19, the economy, the integrity of the election, and, quote, race and violence in our cities. No commercials. Game on. Be ready. Election 42 days away. The debate six days away. And now we have the topics that you just heard. A look at the polls, the strategies, and more. Number one. Like it or not, the Supreme Court vacancy has become maybe the most important issue in this presidential race. That is Senator John Kennedy, but you know that. All about the justice. The 2020 election is all about filling the Supreme Court justice seat as President Trump seems to have the votes from his caucus. We are days away from announcing his nominee Saturday at 5. And Joe Biden tries to deny he's got a nuclear plan that should he get in power, he will detonate. And that's the problem. One thing about Donald Trump, it scares people on the left and his non-supporters. But he tells you exactly what he's thinking all times, every time, whether it's a tweet or a speech. With Joe Biden, you can't get him to say anything regarding what he'll actually do as governor. Is he going to back up stocking the court, uh, packing the court? Not going to answer that. Fracking, I'm not going to ban it. But you did in 2019. I'm going to get rid of fossil fuels, but I'm not yet. I am uh, signed an agreement with socialist Bernie Sanders, but I'm not a socialist. He's on my advisory board, but he's there. AOC, too. I'm not for the new Green Deal, but I am kind of. So the president of the United States is putting the pressure on. And it's all about the Supreme Court justice seat. And he's trying to get, it looks like he's going to make that announcement on, on Saturday. And I think we know who it's going to be. It's going to be Amy Cohn uh, Barrett. 
And it looks like it's going to be her. Unless something comes up where she pulls her name out, it's going to be her. And he's going to put her forward. Word is, when it comes to the timing, even though Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell hasn't said it for sure, but Lindsey Graham says it'll be ready. It'll be through committee before November 3rd. Word is, Mitch McConnell is going to wait till after the election. So get it all there after the election. Now, it's going to get as ugly as possible, but if it gets too ugly, we know it'll boomerang on Democrats. If it's too ugly and disrespectful with a woman there, I think it could really turn off suburban women. So they got to watch it. It is extremely difficult. So the president of the United States making clear, you're going to pack the court? A lot of people are turned off by that. Since 1869, we've had nine uh, Supreme Court justices. Now you want to change it? Cut one. And now we're going to pick a great woman, any one of the five that I told you, but any one of the women that we had, they're all great people, great scholars, great brilliant people. No, they're all great women. Right. Uh, And he is going to meet with one of the contenders uh, in Miami, I believe, on Friday. He's going to be in Jacksonville tomorrow. And today, I don't see any public events scheduled. But, man, he went for about two hours yesterday and seemed just to be having a great time. The crowd was just uh, loved him and just off the charts. I look at the flotillas. I look at the marches. I see the crowds. I can't believe this guy is losing. I never remember Early on, I mean, the last week they all pack them out. Hillary Clinton got Bruce Springsteen and the places sold out. LeBron James couldn't sell out for her. That should have been an indication she had trouble in the Midwest. But the president's turning around and he's saying, listen, you're going to impeach me for doing what I'm doing. You're going to stock the court for doing what I'm constitutionally obligated to do. He wants to see Joe Biden do what he did last time. Name all the justices, the the judges that would be in contention to be Supreme Court justices to fill Scalia's seat and then said, this is exactly what I'm planning to do. And Republicans thought, well, you know, we, we might be able to depend on him for this. Cut three. I'm getting very close to having a final decision made. Very, very close. I'm going to make it, uh, I believe, at five o'clock on Saturday. So you're going to need nine justices up there. I think it's going to be very important. Because what they're doing is a hoax with the ballots. They're sending out tens of millions of ballots, unsolicited, not where they're being asked, but unsolicited. And that's a hoax. And you're going to need to have nine justices. So doing it before the election would be a very good thing, because you're going to probably see it. Because what they're doing is trying to sow confusion and everything else. So Politico asked 12 or more, they say, just over 12, just over a dozen Republicans, what do you think about the timing? And most said they don't see it before November 3rd, but I think it can get done by then if it is indeed possible. They're expedited and Democrats should get out of the way. They feel they're getting a lot of money and a lot of traction because people are motivated to make sure the Democrats get the Senate back. And it looks as though the media, who is firmly in the Democrats' court, is making their preference known. Cut 16. The only way that we restore fairness is for Congress uh, to pass an act expanding the court. Do you say Democrats, if they get back the Senate in this election in November, should then expand, move to expand the Supreme Court? Are you in favor of trying to expand the, the numbers of justices on the Supreme Court? Well, some uh, Democrats are openly threatening to try to pack the Supreme Court with additional justices. And it, uh, would you agree with that? adding seats to the Supreme Court and getting rid of the filibuster. Do you support those two things? There is nothing in the Constitution that says there has to be nine Supreme Court justices. See, Joe Biden goes off, too, on this. 
There's nothing, but it's been there since 1869. Evidently, historically, sometimes it went up to 10. It was down to 7, and you could actually do this. Mark Thiessen says this is an area where the Democrats can't change the Electoral College. They'll need a, a constitutional amendment for that. But they can add seats to the House of Representatives. They can add states to the Senate and make sure those states on the surface seem to be Democratic states. So you could essentially do whatever you want. And then add both seats to those chambers, make them Democratic seats, and then really lock in your majority for generations. He says, look out for that move if the Republicans make this move, but they're going to make this move. So it goes without saying. So when Joe Biden's asked, are you going to pack the court? Don't you think people should know if you're going to do a change like that? Cut six. Let me tell you, I'm not going to answer that question. Because it will shift all the focus. That's what he wants. He never wants to talk about the issue at hand. He always tries to change the subject. But let's say I answer that question. Then the whole debate's going to be, well, Biden said or didn't say. Biden said he would or wouldn't. That's going to, this, this, the discussion should be about why he is moving in a direction that's totally inconsistent with what the founders wanted. <laughs> Uh, What's he talking about? Uh, That is not true. Listen, I see the hypocrisy. I know what Mitch McConnell did nine months ago. I also know it delivered Donald Trump to the White House because without the Scalia seat and the promise to fill that seat with a with the finalists that every conservative was happy with, ultimately would be go to Gorsuch, Neil Gorsuch. The president, there's no President Trump, I don't believe. So now they have the power in the Senate and they're doing it. And they're making it clear, and they use precedent to show it. But I get the hypocrisy. I also know that if Chuck Schumer was in the same place, he would do the exact same thing. If it was Barack Obama, end of the Barack Obama first term, or second term, for that matter. And you know it. You know how, uh, how ridiculously cutthroat Chuck Schumer is? In a way that makes Mitch McConnell seem moderate. But that's what they go for. So, that's done. I will say this. The poll's tightening, but Washington Post poll shows the president up in Florida— and the Washington Post poll shows basically a dead heat in Arizona. It also shows in a different poll um, that Iowa and Georgia are tied. And that is among, in the Des Moines Register, they have it 47-47. Trump won that pretty easily last time. He's, he's supposed to win it again. In Georgia, and you know Georgia's changing. We know Atlanta's playing a bigger role. You can't even walk around there. you got to walk around single file. That's how crowded that city is. It is now 47-47. So that's a big deal. LeBron James and Michael Bloomberg have something in common. They're both writing big checks to get felons to vote in every battleground state. Why? Because they got to wipe out their debt in order to uh, vote, pay back the people. So these two multimillionaires, in billionaire in Bloomberg's case, probably LeBron's case, is writing that check. Matt Gates and others are saying, wait a second. Are you really doing that? Is that legal? They're going to challenge that. We have a lot to discuss, including COVID-19, how it's affecting you, whether it's school or work. We see the numbers are going up, but not like they are in the U.K. and Europe. we got to avoid a second wave. The president of the United States says we got on the other side of that. Do you agree with that? Uh, take your calls next, then Adam Goodman, and then we'll find out if there's more to know. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort. 
peace and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Talk to the voters that are worried about socialism and you raising taxes. I beat the socialists. That's how I got elected. That's how I got the nomination. Do I look like a socialist? Look at my career, my whole career. I am not a socialist. All right, that just shows an unsophisticated, uh, a a diminishing Joe Biden. So he doesn't answer any questions from national media. He takes some local questions. So he goes to these markets, gives a speech he could give anywhere in front of usually five or nobody at all. Last time he actually wore a mask yesterday, gave a speech. And on Monday, he answers a question from local media there. So hopes to get some traction and he gets angry. So instead of saying Bernie Sanders is a friend of mine, but we disagree on economic issues primarily. We are both patriots, but I am not a socialist. But what happens is he gets questioned on his cognitive ability. What kind of question is that? Are you a junkie? He gets questions about race relations. If you vote for the other guy, you ain't black. You don't vote for me, you ain't black. That's what the president's got to get him to. Those trigger words or a follow-up question, you challenge him, he snaps. Everyone talks about nice guy, Joe Biden. How can you not like Joe Biden? The guy I see right now, when pressured, snaps all the time. And his judgment's not great. Nice combination. Jane, listen on KOIL, Coil in Omaha, Nebraska. Jane. Hi. Hi, Jane. Hi. My question to you is that I heard the topics released for the first presidential debate, and there was no mention of foreign policy topic on that. And I wanted to know if you thought that was rather strange, especially since President Trump uh, just initiated the the uh, peace deal with those two uh, countries in the Middle East. If it's like past debates, it's a separate one just on foreign policy. So that'll be a good one for the president, too. I don't see that necessarily coming up. But knowing the president, I think he could always bring it there. But it does not bother me. They've got to defend their records. Uh, they got to go over their economic principles. They're going to talk about the Supreme Court justice. And they're going to be talking about COVID-19. And they got 90 minutes. It's going to be uh, block after block after block. And there's no commercial breaks. And it's just going to be the three of them. And I think it's great. And I like the fact that the place is going to be empty. So this way, someone with more... Supporters or with louder supporters, quieter supporters, you won't skew the audience to know who's winning. You'll pretty much be able to make your own decision. Thanks so much for the call. Mike, WDBO. I was on there this morning. Hey, Mike. Hey, Brian. How are you doing today? Good. What's on your mind? Hey, sir. I was wondering, uh, how are we going to be able to determine if somebody had a mail-in vote 
they cast their vote through mail-in, and then turn around on election day, go to a polling station, and vote there also. I agree with you. It'll be too late to, de- to determine in the long run if they had voted twice. So here's, here's what I understand. Uh, Diana, if you're Oregon or Colorado and used to doing this, you got it. You've beaten that problem. But if you're, you're uh, one of the new states, like New Jersey, like Pennsylvania, like Nevada, you can't possibly know both. And while the president said technically was wrong, I understand how he feels. He said, listen, if you mail in your ballot, show up on Election Day if you can and make sure they count it. If not, vote again, which, by the way, is illegal to vote twice. But you do want to you do want to make sure your vote counts. Ideally, they say you're going to post your ballot. It'll be posted on election sites. But I, I worry about that. That's why I am not voting absentee. If I have to come back to work, I'm going to go home and go back again. I want to make sure my vote counts. And if you're in a state that knows how to do this, if I requested the absentee ballot, I'm pretty convinced that it's going to count. They have a system for that. But I'll give you an example. Remember, my family had a tenant uh, in their house. They no longer have a tenant. They converted it. The last that tenant, they just got a election ballot, was last in his house nine years ago. He took a picture and sent it to me. He goes, do you believe he just got a ballot sent to his house in New York? You got to be. And we had a governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie, say, I tried to update the voter voter rolls. I can't. So Murphy did in a year. Donnie, listen on the app in Miami, Florida. Donnie. Oh, yeah. No, from Wyoming. Hey, uh, what's going on, Donnie? Hey, I just wanted to say I'm really nervous about this uh, Chris uh, debate, you know, with uh, moderating this debate. I I just don't see him. I've seen his uh, past uh, interviews with Trump, and I just think I I don't think it's going to be as good as people uh, think. And I just wanted to ask you how you thought it would go. I think that I can see him if Trump doesn't say exactly what he means or if he uses a word out of context. I can just see it just being like an attack on him. I just wanted to see what you thought. Well, put it this way, Donnie. Uh, He's tough. I think he's fair. Uh, people uh, have different views, but I think he's tough and fair, and I don't think he's going to be pushing left or right. But he'll be, he'll be pretty indefatigable to get an answer. He'll usually go back at you two or three times. If you don't answer, uh, he'll just let the jury decide. But it is an advantage that President Trump sat down with Chris Wallace for at least an hour in 100-degree temperatures and talked to him off camera prior to that as they got equipment set and moved locations. And if you were the Joe Biden, when's the last time you sat down for a tough question? Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. And didn't lose your temper. Let alone, when's the last time you talked to Chris Wallace? He had a remote when it was 10 people in the debate. Chris asked him about four or five questions. So President Trump knows exactly what Chris Wallace uh, what Chris Wallace challenged him on. He could go watch that back. He can watch the raw video and then go over some of the, the other topics. So I think it's advantage overall Trump. Gary, listen on WLAD, Sandy Hook, Connecticut. Gary, real quick. 
Hi, uh, you know, Brian, I'm just responding to your comment on Trump. You feel he's losing in the polls. And I travel for a living on the road, not flying on the road. And I see Trump signs everywhere. I don't see Biden signs, even in the cities. And I think it comes down to two things, energy and charisma. And Trump has beaten him in both those areas, just like the last election. Well, I, I do. I just want to make clear. I walked in to find out the Washington Post poll that has him leading in Arizona and Florida. Excuse me. Yeah, Arizona and Florida. And as McSally within one of Kelly in Arizona, which, you know, he's the popular astronaut. And she was trailing by almost double figures at one point. When we come back, Adam Goodman will be with us. He'll be talking about where we go from here as the debate six days away. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I believe there may be a criminal investigation already underway of the Bloomberg-connected activities in Florida. Chapter 104.061 Florida statute says that it is a third-degree felony for someone to either directly or indirectly provide something of value to impact whether or not someone votes. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. You think about this move to challenge Mike Bloomberg's $20 million payoff scheme. Well, I think it, it is what it is. Uh, I think Matt Gates and others called it vote buying. That's kind of there is something of value, clearly. Uh, and paying off these fines. Uh, let me give uh, everyone a little history. Uh, in 2018, the amendment, the Felons' Rights Amendment passed in Florida with 64.5% of the vote. On that amendment, Brian, it said that these voting uh, rights would be restored after completion of terms of sentence, which includes parole and probation. So uh, the voters specifically wanted uh, the slate to be clean uh, for these uh, ex-felons that had the right to vote again, uh, which is why when it was challenged in the Florida Supreme Court, uh, when it wasn't being immediately implemented by the state legislature, and appropriately not, the state Supreme Court said, well, to the proponents, well, this was your language. Uh, the voters voted for your language, and it says it, that they don't get their rights back until the sentences are complete. So uh, we now see Mike Bloomberg coming in, as he likes to do, he is paid, paying off the uh, bills, the tabs, for 31,000 felons. And the reason that's important, Brian, is you can appreciate better than anybody. It's the state of Florida. So in 2016, Trump carried the state by 113,000, Obama by 75,000 back in 12. And I went through the, all the slings and arrows of the 2000 campaign, which was decided by 537 votes. Those 31,000 felons. Uh, could be a game changer potentially, at least on paper, in a bit what will be, as it we all expect it to be, a very tight competitive race in the biggest swing state in America. What do you take of the fact that the president's now got a two-point lead in the latest Washington Post poll, ABC Washington Post poll? That caught me by surprise. Well, I think this race was destined to tighten uh, all across the map to begin with, Brian. 
uh, especially in the battleground states. That's just the, the reason. What is underreported and unappreciated, I think, and will not be understood once again until we hit Election Day and beyond, is the hidden vote this time for the president is bigger. It's bigger because the cancel movement has driven the open conversation uh, about from those who are, are supportive of the president further underground. But it's deepened. It's deepened because I think there's a sense uh, that the unrest uh, across the country in America's cities has become troubling, that uh, the president is now on top of COVID-19 more than ever. The vaccine may be imminent. Um, and I think there's a the sense that, oh, my gosh, here we go again. Uh, uh, by not just uh, the voters themselves, but by the pundits who completely missed it in 2016. I believe the president is on his way and with the Supreme Court nomination uh, now in in play, which has really become a huge uh, potential swing factor uh, among those who are still soft or undecided. uh, I think um, I think we're in for some very interesting Right. Uh, stories in the days and weeks ahead. And I'll leave that for a second. I just want to come back to your uh, a poll guy, a campaign guy. Uh, they say that, you know, how Trump could win is one of these stories in the New York Times today. And they say, well, a lot yep. of it is because they under, last time they were surprised because they underpolled white voters. Number one, I never heard that before. Is that true? What did the polls do wrong last time? What the polls failed to do last time is model uh, appropriately. You know, every poll, Brian, is based on past elections. Uh, 2016's turnout dynamics were different, fundamentally different in 2012, 2008, going back even 20, 25 years. They were just different. So their numbers, you might say, were accurate based on the models that said, well, X percent will be white, X percent will be Hispanic, X percent will be under 25, X percent over 25. They were off on their models. And so when they put the numbers into the model, they kept spitting out Hillary Rodham Clinton when, in fact, Donald Trump was well on his way to an electoral win and a big one. So don't you believe the Supreme Court justice seat will really motivate Democrats as well as Republicans? Well, I think the Democrats are very motivated to begin with. Uh, I, don't, I think uh, they, you see all the push for early voting. You see, uh, you see everything is pretty much anti-president. They're, they're plenty motivated. What Republicans needed was another shot in the arm not just in terms of poll movement, but in terms of the president being on top of a game that really mattered beyond the election. And Donald Trump just received that gift just in time for the Christmas present on Election Day. What's better politically? Got, you don't, haven't been able to poll it yet. But what does your gut tell you is better politically to nominate and, uh, and place in, uh, in that seat by November 3rd or nominate and do it after the election? Well, it's, it's, that's a great question. Uh, we definitely have to nominate. Uh, and, and even the Democrats have conceded, well, the Republicans are going to nominate. And they also concede that if they, we really push the pedal to the metal and Republicans hold together, obviously, we're going to have a Supreme Court justice uh, before the turn of the year. Uh, you can argue out the process, but I think it's important that uh, we have a ninth justice on the court. You know, if these swing states end up very tight, Brian, uh, you see all the stories starting to come out about the greatest job in town to have is as an election lawyer because they're going to need thousands of them uh, all across the country. If the if Michigan and mm-hmm. North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Florida are tight, these election lawyers will be all over it, which means 
the cases will go into the court system, into the state Supreme Courts. By the way, learn the names of all the men and women who sit on those Supreme Courts in those swing states. You're going to hear a lot more from them. And then if it goes to the U.S. Supreme Court at, with eight justices, not nine, theoretically, you could end up with tie votes in the Supreme Court of the United States, which means the state Supreme Court decisions will stand. That's why this choice, whether we have a ninth justice or not, is critical in terms of what uh, I think mm-hmm. who the next president would be in a tight election. Adam Goodman with us for a longtime Republican strategist uh, and advisor, Rudy Giuliani, John McCain, Jeb Bush, uh, now located in Florida. Adam, let's look uh, let's look ahead. And I get a lot of calls like this every day, and I am concerned about it. I'm concerned about the states that decided the pandemic's so bad, so scary, we have to mail everybody in their state a ballot. And Nevada's did it, Pennsylvania's did it, New Jersey did it. Overall, 11 states, they say right now, you might have a better number, everybody gets a ballot. A lot of people are saying, wait a second, I want to vote in person. I didn't ask for this. Number two, what if I'm not convinced my ballot got there and I show up election day, will I get counted twice? Will they nullify my, will they just nullify one? Uh, so what do you say to these states that suddenly decide they want to be in the mail-in voting game? Uh, fasten your seatbelts is what I say. I've talked to a lot of election supervisors all over the country. I can tell you to a person, they're all freaking out. Uh, they're freaking out because they're about to have to do something, almost all of them, that they never had to do before in terms of the voluminous amount of mail that's going to come at them. And it's not really – and everyone likes to focus on the U.S. Postal Service and will they deliver in time? No. It's once the ballots get to the election supervisors, are they able to appropriately, accurately process them? And a lot of these election uh, supervisors, Brian, do not have the equipment, frankly, to do it well. They don't have the signature scanners. They don't have the vote counting machines. A lot of them cost you know a million dollars or more per machine. They don't have it. And so if there are stories, and they're going to be, because – this is unprecedented, the amount of mail balloting. If there are stories about irregularities, we'll call it. You can call it fraud, whatever, but let's say irregularities. That's just going to fuel the, the flames of public discourse uh, that this entire election is going to be up for grabs after the election as opposed to before. And the ones in the middle of that storm will be America's election supervisors trying to show some sense of calm amid a sea of turbulence. All right, real quick on the Senate. Uh, you have McSally within one, according to the Washington Post poll, it could change, but within one of Kelly, that shows a rise. Joni Ernst in a virtual dead heat. Uh, she's uh, in a tough fight. Uh, Mark, uh, excuse me, uh, Senator Tillis is now, uh, Tom Tillis is now having, uh, trailing by about four in North Carolina, if you're to believe the polls. How much trouble the Republicans in in the Senate? Well, I think the Republicans were in real peril in the Senate. Until recently, I think all of these numbers are are encouraging because whatever they are, I believe they're going to be better on Election Day. Yeah, uh, it's all within the margin of error. And there's, of course, it's we haven't had one debate. Yet. And, right. Exactly. And you had three Super Bowls coming up, right? Three of them. The three debates. Uh, the last uh, major debate in 16 generated 81 million people. My guess, because of the pandemic in particular, I think that you could be looking at 100 million people. Tuning into these three debates, you're talking, you're talking about a game changer. Uh, those are the three moments where this campaign and the two contenders are going to go at it with everything on the table. And if you look at past history and you're going to put a bet down on who's going to do well toe to toe, 
you got to like the odds of the president. Ten, uh, we'll have one on Tuesday, one on the 15th of October in Miami, one on the 22nd in Nashville, in between the vice presidents on the 7th. Adam, great analysis. Appreciate it, because a lot of this stuff is breaking, you know, between the Supreme Court justice seat and uh, and the and let a felon vote program from Michael, Michael Bloomberg. Uh, things are really uh, very fluid. Thanks so much, Adam. Always. Take care uh, of yourself. 1-866-408-7669. When we come back, I'll have a chance to find out if there's more to know and also take your calls. Don't move. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Live from the, the Fox talk show News that's Radio you Studios in New York City, with Brian Kilmeade. of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. A body's there. First Supreme Court justice and female Supreme Court justice to do so. And John Roberts, the chief justice, is speaking now. Let's just listen to a little of his eulogy. Invitation to Justice Ginsburg and put in a good word. Many of you have seen the famous picture of Justice Scalia and Justice Ginsburg riding atop an elephant in India. It captured so much of Ruth. There she was doing something totally unexpected, just as she had in law school, where she was not only one of the few women, but a new mother to boot. And in the photograph, she is riding with a dear friend, a friend with totally divergent views. There is no indication in the photo that either was poised to push the other off. For many years, of course, Ruth battled serious illness. She met each of those challenges with a combination of candid assessment and fierce determination. In doing so, she encouraged others who have their own battles with illness, including employees. And some great moments. It's very rare to hear these Supreme Court justices speak, so I wanted to dip in there. John Roberts, obviously, a lot of respect, respect from both sides of the aisle. Uh, let's. I see some calls up there, and I'll get to them, but let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Well, the Ellen DeGeneres story, way overblown, has returned for its 18th season with its biggest season premiere ever. The show posted an overnight uh, rating of 1.9. She basically apologized. Uh, Ellen uh, topped all talk shows. I think it's been highly rated for a long time. Even did good on 25 to 54. Uh, the, her show return is big because... Uh, she apologized for, she's saying, being part of a toxic work environment. Over the summer, the show got rid of three producers, uh, and they elevated their DJ, Stephen Twitch boss, to co-executive producer alongside long-term showrunners Mary Connolly and two other people you don't know. What do you think about this? I thought this was so overdone. In what way? Like the hype that it got or the Yeah, I mean, I think Rosie O'Donnell was a, was a monster to her staff. Johnny Carson was never really that good. I heard behind the scenes. Do you think Ellen books. was really a monster, though? She talked that's, that- what, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm you don't just think saying so. this is room. I think it's way overdone. I agree with you. She talked a little bit about being the be kind lady, if you want to hear some of it. Okay. There were also articles in the press and on social media that said that I am not who I appear to be on TV because I became known as the Be Kind Lady. And um, here's how that happened. I started saying be kind to one another after a young man named Tyler Clemente took his own life after being bullied for being gay. 
I thought the world needed more kindness, and it was a reminder that we all needed that. And I think we need it more than ever right now. Yeah, that's what I was saying. You know, sometimes also a lot of successful people, a lot of times they're they're really hard-driving people, and if you can't stay with them, you leave. But a lot of people stay with them because of the challenge. I don't know the thing behind the scenes, but I never saw somebody so ripped apart about the way subordinates say she treated him or the way a staff was treated without her maybe not even knowing. I agree. And this sort of goes back to just in general, people want to build you up to just take you down. It happens in any industry a little bit, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, if you just read my uh, email, not that I'm that far (laughs) off, but my email, it's on a regular basis. Uh, But I will say this. It just is a coincidence that I see her with George Bush and say he's my friend and I defend that. And within six months, we got this scandal. Next, Gail Sayers, one of the first great players I've seen uh, when I was younger. And, of course, he was uh, the co-star and featured in Brian's song, playing alongside Brian Piccolo as a Chicago Bear, has passed away at the age of 77. The guy called the Kansas Comet because he was so elusive. Had to retire at a very young age because of knee injuries. He probably could have stayed in the field in today's uh, with today's Um, medical care. At 34, he was the youngest player ever inducted into the Hall of Fame. Passed away battling dementia. Very sad. Uh, So you don't really know anything about Gail Sayers. I don't, but I know dementia is a terrible disease to pass away from. Right, exactly. And also, uh, just think, Mike Ditka, Bears. That's all you think of. They played together, unbelievably tough, but unbelievably elusive. Uh, Next... 77-year-old veteran attacked for wearing a MAGA mask by a 26-year-old. He's an elderly man. He's in California. He was attacked because clearly he likes Trump. The victim did not want to be identified, told KCRC-TV that the attack came out of nowhere, surprising him last Friday. People are nuts. The guy accused, uh, according to Red Bluff Police, 26-year-old Daniel Gomez Martinez. He was was charged with battery and elder abuse. Let's listen to the 77-year-old. He looked at me, and she goes, we just don't like people like you. Just kind of got shocked a little bit, and I says, well, that breaks my heart. And no more how sooner out of my mouth I get hit in the left side of my head. And then somehow he got me in a, like a headlock and just started pounding on top of my head. I just feel kind of bad because seven years in the military, Vietnam veteran, 30-plus years in law enforcement, and you were always taught situational awareness. And this guy came out of the, I never even saw it coming. I just can't believe that he would do something like that. Yeah, either can I. I'm embarrassed uh, for the uh, for the country when some great American like that is hit. Next, Tom Cruise is cleared. Is this true for liftoff to the space station? He's hitching a ride on SpaceX's crew Dragon rocket capsule to the International Space Station October 2021 to start filming in orbit. This is amazing. So Mission Impossible will be joined by Edge of Tomorrow director Don uh, Doug Lyman as the pioneering film project gets underway. This is, this is actually going to happen? If you're reading it. It must be true. Tom is working hand-in-hand with SpaceX honcho Elon Musk to do it. Listen, that takes a lot of guts to do that. you got to be a little different. You want to get people to the movies. But that is the future, getting civilians into space. But I hear the space station, there's nothing to do. It's really not well put together. Everyone had a hand in it. It's no one's decorations. Who's your source there? I know. (laughs) It's boring. You just sit around. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America is listening to Fox News. 
Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. We got the latest breaking news as Ruth Bader Ginsburg's body is in repose. Uh, it's in the Capitol building, and people can come up, and they can now pay their respects. As the Chief Justice just did what I could tell was a brilliant eulogy on what she was like as a person and a, and a legal mind. So uh, that is something that has uh, occupied the minds of everyone, not only her legacy, uh, but who's going to fill her seat. We know about her uh, lasting wish, but that's really uh, not something that is kept in mind when people uh, pass away. Uh, we're going to talk. Uh, a lot today. We're going to talk to Ken Starr. He is waiting on board uh, to talk about what happens next with the Supreme next with the Supreme Court and Kristen Soltis Anderson. Uh, she's going to offer analysis on these new polls that, uh, at the very least, show a tightening of this election. The president up for the first time that I have ever seen since he won the state in Florida and in a dead heat in Arizona, and to the the plus side with Joe Biden. He's, uh, Joe Biden's equal in Iowa, a place the president's expected to win, and he's equal in Georgia, a place the president's expected to win. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Troubling new signs of a new coronavirus surge in the U.S. during a week that's seen the nation's death toll top 200,000. There you go. Uh, a number no one wanted to hear, COVID-19. Number one target for the president is China. And he lets loose on the communist power at the United Nations. This is we passed 200,000 deaths as cases rise in 27 states. And an aid package languishes in the House. But guess what? Democrats, moderate Democrats, yes, there are some, are about to defect on Pelosi. We'll explain. Number two. Topics have been revealed for the first debate between President Trump and Joe Biden. Chris Wallace of Fox News will moderate Tuesday night. The debate will be broken into six 15-minute segments. The topics are the Trump and Biden records, the Supreme Court, COVID-19, the economy, the integrity of the election, and, quote, race and violence in our cities. Uh, that is a quick look at what we all know. Uh, we know elections 42 days away, the debate six days away. We now have the topics, a look at the polls and strategies and more. Number one, like it or not, the Supreme Court vacancy has become maybe the most important issue in this presidential race. That is Senator John Kennedy, all about the justice. 2020 elections, all about filling the Supreme Court seat as President Trump seems to have the votes as we are days away from him announcing his nominee. And Joe Biden tries to deny he's got a nuclear plan that should blow up the Constitution. It might. He just won't tell us. Joining us now is uh, Ken Starr. He served as independent counsel of, of investigating Bill Clinton and author of Contempt, a memoir of the Clinton investigation. Ken, here we go again, right? <laughs> Welcome to the merry-go-round. And uh, it's going to be quite, uh, quite a visit to the circus. Do you think the Republicans are doing the right thing in getting this nomination uh, front and center quickly? I think so. And uh, here it's not just the Constitution that obviously gives the president the power to nominate uh, and the Senate the opportunity to provide its advice and consent. But here history is once again a great and I think it's an unerring guide. And that is where there's a vacancy, the president moves forward. The president is not to sit on his thumbs and just uh, allow the vacancy to sit. Final point on this. Brian, the court does not do well with eight votes. 
And you know who I'm quoting on that? Sonia Sotomayor in 2016. It just doesn't do well. It's designed to have the odd number, nine. There's no magic in that number, and we're hearing a lot of talk about there's no magic in that number. But nine is a good number. Ruth Ginsburg thought it was a good number. She was opposed to court packing, but here's the point. You need that odd number because so many decisions uh, over time are five to four decisions. Right. And we did have that for nine months after the passing of Justice Scalia because the president, uh, the president Obama could not get anyone to bring Merrick Garland uh, to the floor to get his hearing, get his day in court. Why? He was liberal and he probably would have passed. I mean, his, he probably his background check is probably spectacular, but his uh, school of thought it was not something that melded with Mitch McConnell. So McConnell held out for nine months. Do you understand how Democrats could say hypocrisy? Oh, sure. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, And then the response to that claim is, well, look again to history. And yes, presidents who have, in fact, uh, nominated uh, a candidate when the Senate is held by a different party, they don't succeed. Right. So uh, that's just the prerogative of the Senate. And so, yeah, the, the name calling is fear and the response is uh, fair as well. The big difference, of course, is uh, Justice Scalia departed from this life in February, right? Whereas this is just almost on the eve of the first Monday in October, as well as uh, 40 plus days away at the time she passed from this life uh, from the uh, from the election. So these are fair debating points, but it really comes down to constitutional prerogative. The president has the authority. The Senate has the authority. Uh, and then the lessons of history, which is the president, the Senate, the same party, they move forward to fill the court's vacancy. Ken Starr, there's no doubt about it. The Democrats are really considering packing the court if they get the Senate and the White House. <clears throat> and uh, first off, it hasn't been – we've had nine since 1869. Why does nine work? Why has it worked in the past? And why are we visiting this again for the – for the first time this century and only the second time in 160 years. It does work. And uh, we we should be respectful of history, but uh, obviously those who are promoting the idea of court packing uh, do not have an appreciation for our institutions, uh, at least not the Supreme Court. First of all, you need to get everybody around the table. And nine, you can get around the table and have a conversation. Uh, and to uh, have a conversation that's not going to last for five hours, right? So nine is a very good, efficient number, single digits. They get to know one another and so forth. And that's one of the things that Justice Ginsburg's death has brought to light for the American people, and that is the court occupies, carries on a great tradition of collegiality. They may disagree with one another, but they work together. That's just going to break down if you had a court, say, of 15. You don't have that closeness of connection. It will end up simply being a small legislative body, and that will, uh, I think, in the uniqueness of the Supreme Court, uh, really in the, the history of our country as well as, frankly, it sets a great example. It really does. Uh, for all the controversy that attends Supreme Court of the United States opinions, and a lot does, still in all, the courts of the world look to the Supreme Court of the United States for leadership. Uh, Ken, I want you to hear what Ruth Bader Ginsburg thought about packing the court. I have heard that there are some people on the Democratic side who would like to 
increase the number of judges. I think that was a bad idea when President Franklin Delano Roosevelt tried to pack the court. If anything would make the court appear partisan, it would be that one side saying, when we're in power, we're going to enlarge the number. So it's okay to go uh, to listen to Ruth Bader Ginsburg in her final wish that her seat be filled by the next president, but it's not okay to listen to her there? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Weren't we talking about hypocrisy uh, yep. earlier? Uh, and this is uh, uh, really appalling. And I hope that the American people, even with the collapse of civic education in the United States over the last generation, will really rise up in righteous indignation. Uh, there should be 70 to 80 percent of the people who are good, open-minded people who will just say, no. Don't try to fiddle with our institutions. Don't mess with our institutions. Have an election. Let's. There will be other vacancies. You've got justices in their 80s. Right. Don't foul up a great institution. How dare you? Listen to Justice Ginsburg. So it's here's great Joe. Advice. Right here's Joe Biden when asked about this. Now keep in mind, you had Senator Markey say we're going to do this, and now they're saying we're going to do this. We're going to add two or more justices. So it's not the Republicans pushing him. So Joe Biden, who said in the debates this wouldn't be a good idea, now says this, cut six. Let me tell you why I'm not going to answer that question. Because it will shift all the focus. That's what he wants. He never wants to talk about the issue at hand. He always tries to change the subject. So who cares? Who, what kind of answer is that? You're running for president. Just tell me what you think for once. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's no uh, excuse. It, it's a proposal that's being advanced by people who hold uh, office. <clears throat> they seem to be serious about it. I have a pox on their house. I hope it fails. But he has a responsibility to – he's the, uh, the party's standard bearer. He's got an obligation. If he wants to be the nominee, he is the nominee. He's got to address these issues. There's no running away. You can't run. You can't hide. Right. Mitt Romney will be supporting it. They'll have enough votes. They'll put it forward. I was shocked to see that only a handful of Republicans believe he can get before done before November 3rd. From what you know about the procedures in the Senate, if Republicans want to get this done before the election, can they? Oh, yes. It's been done. I, uh, I was actually clerking on the court so many years ago when Justice John Paul Stevens came on, succeeding William O. Douglas. Uh, he came on in, I think, 20 or 25 days. So obviously, the, uh, what shall I say, the milieu was a little bit less partisan and bitter in those days, but there was still partisanship and the like. It can be done. Absolutely. History, to, once again, tells us it can be done. And of course, it will depend on the nominee. Right. If the nominee is a very strong nominee with a strong record and so forth, then you say, well, I either disagree with the record or I agree with the record. You can move it forward very expeditiously. So let's talk about uh, let's talk about the candidates. It looks like Amy Cone, uh, Coney Barrett would be the front runner. Would she be someone from what you know that you would think is the best candidate? She certainly is strong. But, you know, the president had 40 people on his list, but he's, of course, narrowed that to it, it must be a woman, and I think that's entirely uh, appropriate. But I was overwhelmed with the richness and range of the president's list uh, of 40 <laughs> potential nominees. 
On Judge Barrett uh, specifically, she has been a judge for only three years, but she has a very strong record as someone who is a great thinker uh, and understands our Constitution and so forth. One of the things that I like about Judge Barrett is that not only does she have all the intellectual capability and integrity and so forth, uh, number one in her class, clerking for Justice Scalia, on and on her record goes. She won teaching awards at Notre Dame, what, three uh, different years. I mean, she's a great communicator, very persuasive and so forth. So she has all the skill sets. But guess what? She's also a mom, right? Seven kids and two adopted kids from from Haiti. This is a great human being with a great uh, heart, a compassionate uh, soul. And we want good people. Obviously, we want people of integrity and ability, brilliant people on the court. But we also want good people. And she certainly is that. What about Barbara Lagoa, from what you know? What I've told by somebody in the administration, the thing about her, a fine person, but she has her, her judicial record's kind of thin. That's the quote I got. Right. <laughs> exactly. She's a little bit of a stealth candidate, so to speak, right? Uh, because she has not been a judge for the, uh, that long. But again, an exemplary uh, record. You know, the Columbia Law School up in your neck of the woods, Morningside Heights, where she did extremely well academically. Uh, so she has, and she's a public servant. She's uh, been on the Florida Supreme Court for a period of time, but she is. She's a newbie to the federal court. So that's a little bit of a stretch. It reminds me of the appointment of Sandra Day O'Connor by Ronald Reagan. She had a thin record. <laughs> She'd been a judge a bit longer than Judge Lagoa had, but she had, uh, she had never been on the federal courts at all. Right. And that was called into question, but um, obviously she had a very high impact. It's the ability. It's not necessarily, hey, look at my resume. Look at how many years I've been in the minor leagues in the judiciary. And it's the ability and the integrity and the uh, willingness to approach the Constitution with great respect right. as uh, the Constitution is an uh, opportunity to make the world a better place. Right. you got to pass that FBI background check, uh, too, and they, they both have. So, Ken, real quick, Mark Thiessen wrote a very intriguing column, but I don't have the legal background to really analyze it. He says, look out. Not only can Democrats pack the court if they want, they get rid of the filibuster. They can't touch the, they can't touch the Electoral College. You need a, an amendment for that. But they can vote to expand the House of Representatives. They can vote to add, in a simple majority, if they get rid of the filibuster, maybe Puerto Rico and— uh, as a state in Washington, D.C., they get four new senators, likely to be Democrats. They expand the House of Representatives in bigger states. And most of those bigger states like New York and California uh, would get more Democratic legislators, therefore almost permanently in the short term anyway, you know, cementing their majority. Could these things happen? Yes, uh, there's an enormous amount of power on the part of Congress. If it is in league with the President of the United States, then it can do an enormous amount of institutional damage. And all these ideas really need to be debated as opposed to, hey, we don't like this one appointment to the Supreme Court, so now we're going to essentially substantially modify and amend uh, our institutions. Uh, it's, a, it's absolute folly to do it, and the American people, I hope, will again rise up in righteous indignation and say, come on, quit being such spoil sports. You don't have to make these radical changes because you don't like one justice right. uh, who has gone on the Supreme Court. It's Change. just it, it, it's extreme. It's excessive. Right. But it's a sort of let's burn the house down. 
very similar to what you dealt with with the Clintons. Uh, Ken Starr, thanks so much, Ken. Appreciate it. You bet, Brian. Got it. one 408 Got almost every line filled. I'll try to get to all of you when we come back. Listen and pick up on some things you didn't know before. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Let me try to get as many calls as possible. Uh, let's go to James in Missouri. Hey, James. Hey, good morning, Brian. I'll be real quick. Hey, uh, I just wanted to uh, say that I agree with a Star that nine is the uh, appropriate number for the court, but I think most uh, Republicans are just about fed up with uh, the threats from the Democrats about packing the court. So my question is, why don't we just call their bluff and do it ourselves? Just go ahead and throw an extra four on there and make it a 9-4 court and get this whole mess out of the way. Nope. I don't think it's a good idea, but thanks, James. Pat, Michigan. Pat. And how are you? Good. What's on your mind? Hey, I was listening to you talk about how Bloomberg and James were paying these penalties that these felons had accumulated so they could be able to vote, so to speak. Well, why doesn't that make them accountable if these people repeat a crime again? And technically, they're accomplices, I think. Not really. They were let out by the system, but they weren't able to eligible to vote until they paid their debt. So it wouldn't be on them. But I do think it's a low thing to do. Bill in Philadelphia. Bill. How you doing? Uh, I just wanted to talk about uh, get a little bit of nuts and bolts. Uh, uh, I'm on a pension and I'm on Social Security, and I haven't seen any. I got $1,200 stimulus in March. My pension is stagnant. I keep getting letters that it's in the red from uh, from uh, uh, lack of payments into it. And uh, if anybody and Social Security stagnant, and if anybody should get anything. Uh, free medical and uh, prescriptions and stuff like that. It should be somebody should uh, give uh, the people who work 40, 45 years and give them Part B medical. Give them good American drugs that are, are made in the Back United in a moment. States. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Talk to the voters that are worried about socialism and you raising taxes. I beat the socialists. That's how I got elected. That's how I got the nomination. Do I look like a socialist? Look at my career, my whole career. I am not a socialist. And that's what the president's going to try to label and hang around the neck of Joe Biden. And will he be successful? We'll have to see because you'll also have a moderator and Chris Wallace will say something about Joe Biden's record that might press 
Donald Trump. We do know the topics, but we also know that Kristen Soltis Anderson's with us now, Fox News contributor and a great election analysis, a political analyst. Kristen, welcome back. Thanks for having me. So that is truly what President Trump is going to try to do. He's going to say, this guy next to me, he's Bernie Sanders. He's a socialist. Will it be effective being that they do have a joint document they both signed of understanding? You know, I I think when it comes to trying to label Biden as a socialist, I think it's tough to do that because, as you heard in that clip, you know, he was up on that stage with folks much further to the left than him and he beat them. On the other hand, a lot of those folks are advising his campaign and will have a lot more power if there is a Democratic president signing the bills that they send over from Congress, especially if Democrats pick up the Senate. I think part of the strategy is Trump saying, look, Joe Biden is trying to frame himself as someone who's going to be, you know, calmness, back to normalcy. If you thought that the Trump era has been disruptive, you know, and, and you're maybe tired of it, you want to go back to something a little calmer. Don't for one second let Joe Biden say that he's going to be calm. He's going to bring about radical change. It's just radical change you won't like. Yeah, AOC told America two days ago we can't have brunch again. And she is one of the advisors. She said, we're not going back to brunch. And I don't know really what that means. But her outspokenness, her appearances with Senator Schumer helped Trump make the link. I think they do. I think because the more she is visible, Republicans clearly like running against her and frankly would rather run against her than run against Biden in many of these uh, states and districts that are going to be key. Although I would say don't underestimate her political skill. She may believe things that are very far to the left of, of certainly what I believe. But I think she's very savvy at understanding political communications in kind of in some of the same ways that President Trump is understanding that visuals really matter, being very good at sort of tapping into emotions. She's a formidable political force, but she's also definitely not branded herself as someone who is at all moderate. And so that does create a more effective foil, at least ideologically, for Donald Trump. So we know the number one topic now is the Supreme Court justice seat, along with the covid virus. But it may be for now and especially the first debate. This Supreme Court justice seat is front and center. Mitt Romney surprised a lot of people yesterday when he said this. What I intend to do is to uh, proceed with the consideration process. And if a a nominee actually reaches the floor, that I will vote based upon the qualifications of that nominee. And that gave 51 Republicans basically on the record saying I'm in to whoever the president puts out. If they don't drop the ball, if there's no controversy, it'll be a she. And they'll vote. Where does the, what does this do to the election? So I think what this does to the election is it unifies any wobbly Republicans uh, who might have been, you know, sort of maybe they don't love President Trump's style or, or they're just a little bit on the fence. This reminds Republicans why they're Republicans. There are two things Republicans love, even in a moment when Trump has changed a lot about the GOP. And those two things are cutting taxes and confirming conservative judges. And so this will further bind, especially some of those Republican Senate candidates in places like North Carolina or Iowa, you know, red or purplish red states, if you will, where there are Republican senators up for re-election and they need to be doing as well as Trump in order for them to get reelected. They can't underperform him. But it might make things a little more challenging for someone who is a Republican senator in a blue state like Cory Gardner where bringing up sort of these hot-button social issues like abortion, et cetera, which is definitely going to be in the conversation, those might not be the topics he's most excited to be talking about if he's a pro-life senator in a state that's majority pro-choice. Very interesting because you'd also have, hey, Obamacare on the docket. And even though 
it wasn't popular prior with the Republicans not putting anything forward. It's better than nothing. And that's going to be looked at by the Supreme Court right after the election. And I thought the plan was going to be for Democrats to run saying he's going to take away your health care and he's going to make uh, abortion illegal. But now it seems like they're focusing more on getting rid of the filibuster and packing the court. I wonder if that changes in the next few days. I don't think that it's a very smart political strategy for Democrats at all to be focused on those sorts of things, because even though Americans may be, you know, moderate Republicans or moderate Americans might be uneasy with, well, do we confirm a judge this close to the election? It is still within the rules. The Constitution says the president can nominate and the Senate can advise and consent. There's no breaking the rules. There's no changing the rules in order to do that. I do think you lose a lot of voters who are in the middle if you start saying, hey, I don't think that I'm winning the game, so I'm going to change the rules of the game. Voters don't like that. They really don't. That's the sort of thing that I think the progressive base is really going to like. But they're already fired up in this election. They don't need to be fired up anymore. You can't get further past 100 on enthusiasm. So I think it's a very strange strategy for Democrats to be making these kinds of threats right now. And Kristen, is that the reason why Biden won't answer? He had no problem answering in 2019. He says, I'm not for this. But listen to what he says yesterday. Cut six. Let me tell you why I'm not going to answer that question. Because it will shift all the focus. That's what he wants. He never wants to talk about the issue at hand. He always tries to change the subject. But let's say I answer that question. Then the whole debate's going to be, well, Biden said or didn't say. So what he doesn't get and what he's saying inaccurately, possibly intentionally, is it was Senator Markey who brought that up. It was Jerry Nadler who brought that up. It was Senator Schumer who said everything's on the table. The president wasn't even saying, look out, they're going to pack the court. Normally he would. He probably said to himself, I wish I'd thought of that. Yeah, this is the sort of thing where Biden clearly knows he has to walk a very fine line because his base, or I shouldn't say his base, I should say progressive activists want to pull him far away from where the median voter is. But he also knows this close to the election, he can't afford to have anything less than 100 percent enthusiasm from that base. So while during the primary, he was a little more comfortable pushing away from things saying, yeah, you know, I don't Medicare for all that. That's not really for me. He has gotten tripped up on things like fracking, for instance, where he kind of had to play footsie a little bit with those who want to ban fracking. And then he flip flopped back against it. He's trying to walk this very narrow line. And I think on something like this, he's wise Mm -hmm. not to come out in support of packing the courts or eliminating the filibuster. But I do think the fact that he's he's not even just outright answering it is is, uh, you know, him just trying to hang on to those progressives. And it leads us up to the debates on Tuesday. And here are the topics. uh, Trump and Biden records. So that's wide, wide ranging. Donald Trump already knows where Chris Wallace is going to go. He already sat down with him for an hour, pregame half hour. They sat in 100-degree temperatures in suits, and he went over this, the Trump record. Let's show me the map. Show me the graphs. I don't know if that's true. And going back and forth. And the word is Trump loved it. And Jonathan Swan also brought President Trump to the paces. He never complained about Stephanopoulos. I can't say that Joe Biden has been brought through the paces in about, I guess it's been about five or six years, would you say? 
Well, he recently, there was a, a press availability he held where all of the questions were incredible softballs. That it was, it was like appalling to watch because here you have a candidate who actually hasn't been out on the trail that much. There hasn't been a ton of opportunities to ask him questions. And yet when these reporters had an opportunity to do so, many of them kind of whiffed and just asked things that were, were very mushy. Right. I don't expect Chris Wallace to whiff. He's not going to ask mushy things. So Joe Biden better bring his A game. Right. So you got the integrity of the election, uh, both sides. I mean, President Trump has got to disseminate. I don't uh, mail in voting, absentee voting. Fine. When you blanket states who aren't used to this, that's the problem. That's what he I have a problem with. But that's what he has a problem with. The voter rolls haven't been updated. No one's requesting them. Next thing you know, your ballots in the mail and they say, honey, I wanted to go to the polls. Am I not allowed to go to the polls? And I have people tell me I'm looking at my ballot. It's confusing. Or you make one mistake, it doesn't count. So the president doesn't want any part of that. Florida can handle it. Oregon can handle it. Colorado can handle it. New Jersey can't handle it. Pennsylvania has shot has not proved they can handle it. They're changing the rules in the middle. That's the president's point. But he's been very broad in condemning it, leaving it open for Biden. But that'll be a key moment, right? I think so. Well, and the other thing to bear in mind is that Democrats have been championing expanding mail-in voting for many, many months. But what is likely to happen is we're going to see in these states, just like the ones you named, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, already in Pennsylvania, you're seeing big problems with what's called naked ballots, where their rules require that your ballot has to be in an envelope inside another envelope. And if that one inner envelope is missing, they throw out the ballot. Well, a lot of voters are messing this up because it's a new process in Pennsylvania, and overwhelmingly they're finding the ballots that they're throwing out tend to be more likely to be Democrats. So I think Democrats are going to do a big 180 on mail-in voting after this election, too, if it turns out that it's a lot of Biden voters who are not you know, able to, right. to do it right, and if Democrats are the ones overwhelmingly trying to use vote by mail. Uh, political uh, analyst Kristen Soltis-Anderson, our guest. And Kristen, in the middle of our show this morning on Fox & Friends, Washington Post-ABC poll came out. And I thought, what, do I have this backwards? President Trump's up by four unlikely voters, up by, by one by registered, four by likely voters in Florida, and has a one-point lead in Arizona. McSally within one of Kelly in Arizona. Is this enough for you to say things are tightening? Well, I think what this shows is that we should be taking all polls with cautious skepticism. And this is a poll from a very high-quality pollster that is really trying – it's debunking a lot of the other polls that have come along, or at least it's telling a very different story. I think this just underscores for me that this is a, this is still anybody's race. If you're looking at all these polls that have been coming out recently showing Biden up by fair margins in swing states, look, I'd probably rather be Biden than Trump right now if I'm looking at, at those odds. But they, these polls this morning are a reminder that especially some of these Sunbelt states where you have a lot of Hispanic voters, Trump's been doing better than expected among Hispanic voters. In our most recent Fox national poll, he was at 41 percent, which is much higher than he was at in the exit polls in 2016. So it doesn't really surprise me that of all the states that are kind of in play, that Florida and Arizona might be ones where the president really does have a, a good shot at pulling them off. Which explains why the Washington Post lead story today is how Hispanics are being inordinately um, uh, victimized by the coronavirus. And guess who they think is responsible for that? The president. So there'll be a pushback on that. It also helps when many in the media are on your side. Uh, Kristen, thanks so much. It's going to be very interesting. Six days to, uh, and who knows what will happen in between. Saturday at 5, we get the new nominee. And then we know what's happening Tuesday at 9. We get our debate. That's Eastern time. Kristen Soltis-Anderson, thanks so much. 
Thank you. All right, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I got plenty of time to take your calls and weave in a more to know because you need to know more. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. one 408 7669 We'll be able to take some calls and get some more to know. There's so much information happening. Right now, the president's coronavirus team is speaking on Capitol Hill, giving everybody an update. The number 200,000 numbers going up in 27 states, but not substantially. The deaths are pretty much flat, up maybe 1%. Uh, we're doing much better with therapeutics. The va- a third vaccine has moved into final stage of approval, and it's Johnson & Johnson. So now they're going to test 60,000 people uh, and give them this, uh, what they think is a vaccine. It's a one-shot vaccine. That's it. And uh, hopefully it works. And they got two other major companies whose stock is going up because they are moving quick. Uh, Bob is in Newtown, Connecticut. Bob. Hey, Bob. Uh, what's up? Uh, I, I, I had a couple of things. One is uh, I just saw a thing online about Dr. Mike Eden. He's the chief science officer for Pfizer. And he says a lot of the tests were fake or false positive wrong and the pandem- pandemic is over, which I don't know how true he is, but he's pretty high up. And the second thing is, a lot of people are worried about Bloomberg and buying the votes and everything. Yep, real but quick. My, my thing is, the dreaded George Soros, who, who I think is funding a lot of this stuff, is like, I saw a show with Glenn Beck saying, like, Fox can't talk about him on the show. And uh, we can talk about him, and, and Tucker Carlson talked about him last night, and we always mention him. Uh, thanks so much for the call. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Uncle Ben's, which uh, changed its original name because of a racist labeling they claimed on themselves, will become Ben's Original and will drop the logo of an elderly African-American man in a bow tie. Mars, first who owns the company, would, would announce it would evolve the visual brand of Uncle Ben's rice in June, hours after Oak uh, uh, Quaker Oats said Aunt Jemima, long denounced as a racist character, uh, could be removed from its packaging. Uh, Mars told Wall Street Journal that a survey of thousands of consumers over the summer revealed many found the term uncle in the name to be derogatory, while the brand's imagery was reminiscent of servitude. So I don't want to touch this, but I never looked at it that way. And Aunt Jemima's family, who she was a model, evidently was a, um, was a model. They, they took pride in it. So I think, again, this might be other people interpreting for other people. I agree with you, but two points for that. Apparently, the name Uncle Ben was first employed in 1946, referencing a black male race farmer by that name, and that um, the image was of a beloved Chicago chef and waiter. And the other thing that apparently, um, according to a 1997 New York Times report, uh, black men and women referred to as aunt and uncle to avoid the term Mr. and Mrs. by white Southerners. All right. I don't know how many people feel that way, but... Work it through. Next, Notre Dame and Wake Forest will not play football because of the coronavirus. Uh, they had 94 of the 94 cases, seven positive tests, according to the uh, University Physician of Notre Dame. So they had, they had seven positive tests. Um, so those seven tests means they're not going to play this weekend. Both games, uh, both will have a bye week after Saturday and could meet on October 3rd. That's okay. At least they're trying, right? Exactly. And at least that's what happens. You try, you test positive, you take a break. We're in it together. Next. Uh, We know about this. We know about that. 
do we know about this? Florida high school bans a football team's police flag after its critics deem it openly racist. I'm talking about Fletcher High School's football team. They started carrying the pro-law enforcement flag last year as a way for one of its players, Kayleen Lavender, to honor his father, Andy, who passed away after 29 years in law enforcement. Uh, The dean says this, the flag, which is known as the thin blue line, has different meaning for different people. Therefore, they're taking it down. Steve Zona, president of the Jacksonville Fraternal Order of Police, says don't let people make this political. These uh, In these trying times, it's about Andy and his son. It was never political until an evil person made it so. It's pathetic. The kids remembering his dad, and then because people might perceive it as political, we just don't have it at all. Vanessa Bryant sues an L.A. sheriff over graphic helicopter photos of her of her husband and his daughter. Her daughter, Vanessa, said uh, in a suit last week seeking damages for negligence, invasion of privacy, and intentional affliction of emotional distress. I guess some of these cops were passing around photos because they were the first to the scene. The L.A. County Sheriff Villanueva admitted in early March that he had ordered deputies to delete the photos of the chopper crash. As many as eight deputies had snapped. Uh, and shared images. Ugly. It's still so sad. Michael Jordan and Denny Hamlin from NASCAR have now formed an alliance, and they'll have Bubba Wallace behind the wheel. Michael Jordan trying to be a NASCAR team owner. He says he likes the progress NASCAR has made, and he wants to be a part of it. And Bubba Watson, how appropriate that that's his driver. Did you think you'd ever say Michael Jordan and NASCAR in the same sentence? No, I didn't. Uh, Joe Gibbs in football, he's just as dominant in football as he is in NASCAR and vice versa. But it's amazing. People do get in the board and it's going to help the sport. Uh, okay, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Anytime you have to leave your local affiliate and get us on the stream, you can also get us on Spotify, iTunes, and iHeart. And BrianKilmeade.com to get Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, or any of my books. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. It's going to be a great hour. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade here. Chris Darwell at the bottom of the hour. We'll go inside politics. Get ready for the debate. Uh, Also take a look at what's happening with this Supreme Court justice seat. Uh, We're also going to see Joe Biden's on the road today. It doesn't look like Donald Trump is, but tomorrow he'll be in Jacksonville, Florida, and then he'll move on from there. Joining us in a matter of moments, General H.R. McMaster wrote a great book called Battlegrounds, The Fight to Defend the Free World, National Security Advisor to the President of the United States for 13 months under the Trump administration. And he has the template for the future. Write a book without being critical of individuals. Don't make it page six and stab in the back. Tell the story from your perspective and then let everybody know the inside story without giving away secrets. John Bolton didn't do that. Obviously, Bob Woodward didn't do that. All these other tell-all books are, are, uh, are they just tell gossip. This tells facts, and it just, it's just phenomenal, and you got to go grab it. Uh, we'll talk to the general in just a second, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Troubling new signs of a new coronavirus surge in the U.S. during a week that's seen the nation's death toll top 200,000. 
that is uh, just a little bit of NBC's comments on COVID-19. The number one target uh, and to the president, it is China's fault. The communists have to be uh, made to pay for this. He made that clear to the United Nations yesterday. We have 200,000 dead and the cases are rising in 27 states. Number two. Topics have been revealed for the first debate between President Trump and Joe Biden. Chris Wallace of Fox News will moderate Tuesday night. The debate will be broken into six 15-minute segments. The topics are the Trump and Biden records, the Supreme Court, COVID-19, the economy, the integrity of the election, and, quote, race and violence in our cities. Well, that's about it. Uh, They'll need more than 90 minutes, I think. Election, 42 days away. The first debate, six days away. And we now have the topics you just heard. We'll take a look at the polls. The president pulls ahead in Florida and in Arizona, but very close. Number one. Like it or not, the Supreme Court vacancy has become maybe the most important issue in this presidential race. Senator John Kennedy, all about politics. 2020 uh, election is all about filling the Supreme Court justice seat for now. President seems to have the votes and has the candidate. He'll announce it Saturday. Do the Democrats have a plan, a nuclear plan, to blow up the Constitution as we know it? Uh, We'll talk about that in a second. But let's bring in General H.R. McMaster. His book is now out. It's called Battlegrounds, the Fight to Defend the Free World. General, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, Brian, what a, what a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. Well, I feel the same with you. I was so glad to see you on 60 Minutes. And the first question was the obvious one. And you answered it without even being asked, really. And you said, look, my publisher, they all wanted me to write this tell-all book about Trump. There are all these books out there, but you're not going to do it. Because what you did is I'm gonna, you're going to tell your point of view with all your years of experience, your Ph.D. in history. And you're going to say, this is what I brought to the table in 13 months. And this is where we are as a country. How hard was that to do to convince your publisher to go with your vision? <laughs> yeah, it was it was hard, Brian. I'm telling you, my my publisher, my agents, and everything. I mean, at one point, I had to threaten to like to fire people. I was like, I mean, I I really wanted to to do something that I hope is yeah, produce something that's useful to the American people. You know, I, I want to be a, really a, a, a contributor to bringing the country together and to understanding these really crucial challenges to, to our, our future. And, you know, I, I think it's time, it's past time, right, for all of us to work together to build a better future for generations to come. And I hope that the description of the challenges we're facing, the opportunities we have that we could exploit, I, I hope it's useful to readers. So, so General, uh, you're, you fly in very good, in very important circles. I mean, the people that you call friends are guys like General McChrystal, General Petraeus. Uh, you have uh, Admiral McRaven. These are the people of this generation. We learned to find out who our leaders were uh, because of the wars, Afghanistan since 9-11 and Iraq and all the other conflicts that have followed. Why is it that they would have hesitated to join Trump, Trump administration, and you didn't? Well, you know, I, I don't know, Brian. I just think, I mean, obviously I have tremendous respect for all of them. I mean, they, I mean I've fought alongside them, you know, fighting really these enemies of all civilized people that we've been engaged with since, since the mass murder attacks of, of 9-11. But I think all of us in uniform and even the, the, the has-been generals like me now, we have to resist that, that uh, tendency to be pulled into partisan politics, politics right? And, and for me, I mean, President Trump, if you count the time that I was at West Point, he's the fifth commander-in-chief I had the privilege of serving. And, and every day was a gift for me to be able to serve our country and to serve alongside amazing young men and women uh, who decided to, to, to serve their country in uniform. So 
for me, it was it was just there. It wasn't even a question of whether or not I would I would join the administration and try to help a new president confront these challenges that I describe in the book. How how would you you replace Michael Flynn? Who's the Michael Flynn you know? Yeah, he's a good man. I mean, I I'll tell you, Brian. I I, uh, I served alongside him uh, in Iraq and in Afghanistan, and you know I've got tremendous respect for him. I mean, we worked super well together. Uh, on on a, on a number of occasions while he was in uniform, and and I just I just don't think that I think the way that he was treated was was kind of a travesty. And and um, anyway, I wish the best for him and his family. They've been through hell, really. And and uh, you know I've been, I haven't had contact with him, you know, because he had all this investigation thing and everything else. I talked to him when I when I took over the job, but uh, but obviously I wish him and his family well. So, uh, General, I found your book fascinating. Uh, just to bring me inside and get your here's what here's what you know and here's what you think. Here's what you know and here's what you think. So let's go through some hot spots now. And the President of the United States was uh, speaking to the United Nations yesterday. Had to do it on tape because of the pandemic, and he really took aim at uh, China uh, when it comes to the coronavirus. And he's quickly to say this is the China virus for a reason. Cut thirty. As we pursue this bright future. We must hold accountable the nation which unleashed this plague onto the world, China. In the earliest days of the virus, China locked down travel domestically while allowing flights to leave China and infect the world. The Chinese government and the World Health Organization, which is virtually controlled by China, falsely declared that there was no evidence of human-to-human transmission. Later, they falsely said people without symptoms would not spread the disease. The United Nations must hold China accountable for their actions. How about him confronting them, confronting the world, calling out China in front of the world? Are you for that? Okay. Yeah, Brian, that was so important. I mean, it's important. His message is important, but where he's doing it is important to do it in front of the U.N. and in front of the world. Because, you know, there's this narrative these days, you know, Xi Jinping and, and China, they're acting out because, you know, the Trump administration is so mean. I mean, really? God. I mean, they foisted this virus on the world. Then they added insult to injury with this wolf warrior diplomacy in, in, in Europe. They're, they're, the People's Liberation Army is bludgeoning Indian soldiers to death on the Himalayan frontier. They passed this national security law and they're repressing human freedom in Hong Kong. They're engaged in the biggest land grab, so to speak, in history in the South China Sea. They're threatening Taiwan. They're doing major cyber attacks all around the world, attacking medical research research facilities in the middle of a pandemic. Okay, how is that a U.S. China problem? It is a free world China problem. And I think when historians look back at the the first uh, you know the the first term of the Trump administration or the, the you know these these first years of President Trump the first year really they're going to say that he enacted the greatest shift in American foreign policy since the end of the Cold War and that's recognizing that we're in a competition uh, with the Chinese Communist Party and their aggressive policies. Yeah, and here's their quote in re- in response: China firmly rejects and opposes the groundless accusations made by the U.S. Uh, when the international community is going all out to fight COVID-19, the U.S. is spreading this political virus. Uh, so that's not much of an answer. Now we understand they're going to form another concentration camp, this time Tibetans. We already know what they've done to the Uyghurs, Muslims. And we know they're starting to get emboldened in the South China Sea, if that's indeed possible. Uh, what is interesting you said on 60 Minutes, you said the, the perceived chaos here is showing them an opening. How are they interpreting our political infighting? 
Well, you know, I think they think they're winning. They think that they're on top. They think, you know, what they do is, you know, a chapter of the book, I call, I call it you know, turning your know, weakness into strength. They perceive our democratic system as a weakness, right? They could never stand their own people having the, you know, the gall to say that, that they ought to have a say in how they're governed, right? So they see us as, as weak because of our democratic processes to begin with. But now they see us pitted against each other, you know, on... On, on all of these, you know, these, these, these issues of, of race and immigration and gun control, whatever, you know, fill in the blank. And, and, and I think that they take heart in seeing us at each other's throats. I mean, I think what's needed more than ever, you know, is, is respectful discussion of these challenges and an opportunity for us to come together and figure out what we have to work on together as Americans. Restore, you know, our confidence in who we are as a people. We ought to be proud, Brian. I mean, even in the craziness of this presidential election, we ought to be proud that we actually do have a say. In, in how we're governed, and 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 uh, people in China don't, right? So, so I, I think we have a real opportunity to gain strength out of these, you know, these crises that we're that we're going through today. Uh, and and part of that is going to be to to confront, you know, the the Chinese Communist Party and and this their effort to export this authoritarian system. You mentioned, you know, their statement. You know, they always talk cooperation when they're doing exactly the opposite. And you know what you'll hear sometimes and. You hear this from opponents of the president sometimes because I think they're so opposed to President Trump sometimes that they begin to develop an affinity, you know, for Xi Jinping. But they'll say, well, we yeah. should be cooperating more. On what issues, right? Exactly. I mean, if it's climate, if it's climate change and, and pollution, China is poisoning the world, right? They, they're, they're building you know, over 200 coal-fired plants, right? I, mean, I think they talk this great game. They'll say environment and cooperation. But they do exactly the opposite. And general, you know, that's why it was so important. The president brought that up. They 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 pollute the oceans with their plastics and their plants. They air with their their power plants and their. So he's trying to say, listen, I know there's green people listening right now and wants to make us the enemy. But before you get on us for leaving the Paris climate deal, understand who's polluting the world. And understand, he didn't want to get the. And you'd had a whole chapter on the Paris plan, and you were for staying in it. But you understood where the president was coming from: American taxpayer dollars going to countries without our say because we signed on to a universal document that never was never was ratified by the Senate. Right, and even worse, Brian. I mean, I, I write in the book. Okay, hey, I, I wanted to stay because I thought, okay, we'll use up too much capital with our allies and that kind of thing. But, but hey, I, I think I, I was wrong about that, you know. And 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 when I look back on it. The positive of us getting out of it is that it gave us a false sense of security. It was like a feel-good exercise, right? It didn't do anything really to to avert, you know, the damage to the environment or the dangers of of climate change. And and uh, and so I think what we need is real solutions, right? There are all these fake solutions, this ridiculous like Green New Deal, right? We need something in between, right? We we, we don't want to be climate deniers, right? <laughs> but we also don't want to sign up for a program that's going to do more harm than good and it is utterly right. realistic that would destroy our economy. And, Joe, and you know what, what, are, what, are, what I write about in the book? There are actually real solutions available. And one of which is capitalism. They gave us fracking. This innovative technology Absolutely. allowed us to burn clean, natural gas and get away from coal in a market in, with a market economy, a entrepreneurial approach. It's the best product wins as opposed to politics suppressing an advantage. And that's what you write about. You just... Every time you get close to politics, it's like you intentionally pull back, which makes people pay attention, I hope, because they realize you're not on anybody's team. You're on you just you're red, white and blue, not red and blue. 
Well, thanks, Brian. I, I, I really appreciate it because you know there are there, there are so many solutions out there. And you know, this book was kind of a self education for me too. I mean, I really enjoyed the opportunity to write it, and right. so I've, I've worked with some great students out here too at Stanford, my research assistants. And you know, what's funny is is working with them. They're like, well, you know, we never thought about these problems this way, and and so right. it was really it was it was really like a miniature seminar that produced this book, and and uh, and I hope I hope readers yeah. find it helpful and. In and, general, uh, and it helps strengthen our country and strengthen I, I want the have free a few, world. I want to have a few more minutes with you, so we'll take a quick break, come back, because General Keene weighed in on Iran, and I want you to weigh in on what he just said. Uh, played a key role. You played a key role in the surge that he helped design. Uh, General H.R. McMaster's here. His book, Battlegrounds, The Fight to Defend the Free World, is now out. you got to grab it back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. They are back on their heels more than I've ever seen in the 40 years of their existence. They are now openly admitting that there's espionage and sabotage going on in their country. They're not accidental explosions. The centrifuge plant, they believe, now was blown up by people in their own country. That is a serious statement that's taken place there. That is, that is a low-level insurgency that has taken place inside of Iran. They're certainly not using that word. General Jack Keane, who's as respected as anyone that I know in, in military strategies, uh, and he has gotten information that th- that is going on inside Iran. Uh, General H.R. McMaster's here. His book, Battlegrounds, is out, The Fight to Defend the Free World. General, your reaction to that, and does that show that the president's policy that you help implement against Iran is working? Absolutely, Brian. I mean, this is a really important policy shift that we put in place very early based on the the president's guidance. I mean, I I think you could say that if the Obama administration succeeded in one thing, it was in empowering Iran across the greater Middle East. And and so this this policy of acknowledging, hey, the nature of the regime, the ideology that drives them since 1979 – and recognizing, hey, they've been fighting a proxy war against us, the great Satan, Israel, the little Satan, and the Arab monarchies for 40 years. And, and the tide has really turned, I think, thanks to this strong policy of, of forcing the regime to make a choice. Hey, uh, Supreme Leader Hominy, uh, do you want to be a terrorist state or, or do you want to act like a responsible nation? You can't have it both ways anymore. And the problem with future U.S. policy, and what I, what I write about in Battlegrounds, I mean, across multiple administrations, has been this this pipe dream of a conciliatory approach with Iran. You know that they're going to they're going to change. They're going to be like the Grinch. You know, at Christmas Eve, their, their hearts are going to grow two sizes bigger. You know, they're going to change from it's, it's not going to happen. And so now the regime is in a tight spot. They're putting out you know their shop window for the regime. You know, Zarif, their foreign minister, who speaks great English. Uh, but it's really powerless in the country. Right. It's really all about the supreme leader and the Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps. So, and, and, you know, the Iranian people, are, they're fed up with it, too. I mean, and, uh, I and, think it's an important shift. And the administration you were part of uh, reapproached Israel, moved the capital to Jerusalem. UAE, Bahrain has recognized Israel because of Iran. So there's uh, Saudi Arabia, Sudan, and Oman could be next. 
Right. I don't even in your books, General. When you sp- spoke and you spoke and you used to be a professor at a war college and you got your PhD, no one expected this. Am I correct? Well, you know, I'll tell you, I, I think the administration set out to create these conditions from the beginning. And, you know, I, I mean, Jared Kushner gets hammered all the time. <laughs> you know, and he ought to get some credit for this because, you know, this was this was in large measure his vision from the beginning. And what's important, Brian, is I think if your listeners go back to the president's trip to Saudi Arabia, remember at the time, yeah. he was like, hey, what is Donald Trump doing going to going to Saudi Arabia? Well, what he was doing was trying to affect a, a sea change in, in, the, in the region. And if you read his speech in Riyadh, and then you read King Salman's speech in Riyadh, I mean, that, that, was, that was phenomenal in terms of how integrated their approaches were. And right. the country, who had been the greatest proponent of this ideology of hatred, indicated that they were going to change. Now, you know, everybody should be right. skeptical about it. We kind of try to follow through on all this. Right. But what you're seeing now is, is a fundamental shift in the region, recognizing that gotcha. Iran is the problem. And also recognizing that this extremist ideology, you know, this irreligious uh, ideology is a problem. General H.R. McMaster, pick up his book, Battlegrounds, The Fight to Defend the Free World. It is is so insightful. I appreciate it. And, General, hope you come back on the back end of your tour. Hey, Hey, Brian, thanks so much. Great to be with you. All right, go get him. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Topics have been revealed for the first debate between President Trump and Joe Biden. Chris Wallace of Fox News will moderate Tuesday night at Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland. The debate will be broken into six 15-minute segments. The topics are the Trump and Biden records, the Supreme Court, COVID-19, the economy, the integrity of the election, and, quote, race and violence in our cities. Laura, that's a a noteworthy phrasing that immediately drew criticism on social media when it was announced. Yeah, I think part of the issue there, the reason people found it so problematic, is this idea that race and violence are somehow inextricably intertwined. Certainly something that the president, a narrative that he has been pushing on the campaign trail. And one way to avoid it is just to be more direct with what exactly you're going to talk about. Is it racism? Is it police brutality? Or is it something else? Uh, that was interesting. Uh, Chris, is Chris Starwalt there? All right, Chris is there. Hey, Chris. What it is. Uh, okay, <laughs> that's what it is. By the way, can you tell me one thing? Uh, first of all, what do you think about those comments on CNN? Do they have to make a dissemination on the on the debate, what exactly they're talking about when it comes to violence? You know, I hate to say this, but I cannot wrap myself here with it. Wow, you're breaking up. You can you hear me? All right, try it again. I said I cannot rest about it's obviously you can the the issue of violence and social unrest in the cities is connected to allegations of racism against police officers. Those two things are linked. It's not we didn't just split this. And find that, like people were lighting fires and that didn't just happen spontaneously. It's connected to something else. So I think any criticism of that is pretty preposterous. And I also think that we're about to get another taste of it, sadly, because this Breonna Taylor verdict is coming out. And uh, word is a few from a few FBI people I know that they're poised for the worst violence yet. Uh, it's organized earpieces, bats, bricks, whatever they need. Uh, this won't be like, oh, I'm so angry. Let me yell out my window. 
I'm so angry I know exactly what windows to punch out. So uh, look out in Kentucky, and believe it or not, I hear look out in New York. I wish that wasn't the case. I'm sure look out in Washington, too. Well, we, we certainly have seen where organized, intentional agitators on both sides have to travel now. These are, these are away games now. And, you know, we've seen it. Uh, Kenosha. Militia groups. We've seen, yeah, and we've seen Black Lives Matter. And we've seen vigilanteism. And we've seen all of this hot garb uh, out there. I hope, though, that in this case, we do not lose sight. And I really think it's been too bad the way the case of Breonna Taylor, which really just stands out. Here's a, you know, in terms of the abuse that that was the loss of liberty, the loss of life, the abuse to which she was subjected really stands. This is this is the case, I really think, that advocates of reform in this area should champion. This is the one that is it, it is it stinks the worst. The no knock rule that they, they had him burst into the house and start shooting and the return fire and the cops there now uh, in a whole lot of trouble. And the Brianna Taylor who lost her life and you know, there's a family had a huge payout last week. Uh, we understand that. But I think in many ways uh, the balance out, if the answer is Seattle, where you have a state legis- a city legislator who decides that we're still going to defund the police, even if the Democratic, the liberal Democratic mayor wants us to not, um, it ends up instead of how do we reform this to how do we get control back in our city, period. I don't think Louisville will follow the same path uh, as Seattle. Uh, Kentucky and Washington are very different places. Uh, Louisville and Seattle are very different kinds of cities. Uh, and I don't, it's, it's, I may be proven wrong here, but I don't suspect that they're going to have the kinds of problems. Look, do I expect that uh, given a, a, a ruling that is adverse to the uh, desires of police reformers and others, do I expect that there will be unrest? Yes. But Louisville is a larger city than most Americans probably think about. Um, they don't spend a lot of time thinking about the Ohio Valley, though they should. Um, uh, Louisville is a bigger city, but Kentucky it has been a pretty well-run state, and Louisville is a pretty well-run city, and uh, I think they can handle it. Right. Uh, go to a bad, badly run state and a terribly run city and uh, b- b- destroy that again. Uh, I'm talking New York. So, Chris Starwell, you— it's terrible. I wish I could say it's a little bit bad or it's going through a rough time. I don't recognize no, it. No, I know. 85%. No one is happy. Did you see the stat? 85% of the restaurants have not and cannot pay their rent. I mean, yeah. what, how do you – I never can't believe I'm reading that. So I want to bring no, it to, it, it, Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. It's your radio show. All right. Um, real quick, I have a feeling it changes after the election, which is the, the sickening thing. So I want to flash forward to who Joe Biden is. Joe Biden is somebody that said in 2019 he does not want to fatten up the court and bulk up the court and add a bunch of justices. It'll be bad. He was against getting rid of the filibuster. He thought that would be a bad road to go down. He won't even admit to that now. Uh, He said earlier uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to uh, fossil fuels, I'm going to be getting rid of them. He sold Bernie Sanders. He's also going to get rid of fracking. But now he says he's going to keep fracking. And there's a lot of Democrats out there who are convinced that whatever Joe Biden thinks won't matter. Here's a collection. Cut 29. We can 
likely push Vice President Biden in a more progressive uh, direction. I will be pushing him. I will, you know, as soon as we get him in the White House and even before um, with these task forces that we had, we were able to significantly push Joe Biden to do things that he hadn't signed on to before. So he is movable. This is our time to make sure we get rid of Trump and we elect someone who's going to be responsive to the policy positions we are advocating for. And our job is the day after Biden is elected is to mobilize our people in the fight for a progressive agenda. And that's what Republicans fear and that's what they want to run against. How do they show their greatest fear very well could be a reality? Well, I mean, here's what I would foresee if Biden wins. Uh, The far left of the Democratic Party immediately goes after him, right? And he tries to reach out to the middle. He tries to reach out to when he puts a Republican in his tries to put a Republican in his cabinet or whatever, and tries to be the moderator that he that he yearns to be, and that he was for a lot of his Senate career. At which point, his presidency stops dead in the water. Right? It's like burp. And the the problem that Biden faces, he only has a mandate for one thing, which is not being Donald Trump. Now. Because the Republican Senate and because Republicans in the House, when they still had it, figured out a way to work with Trump, who had a similar mandate after 2016. His mandate was to not be Hillary Clinton. He fulfilled it, but then Republicans in Congress worked with Trump to get the tax cut through and put a lot of judges through. So conservatives are relative. Four years later, conservatives are happy. They say, we got what we wanted. The question for Biden becomes, can he do anything? Right. Because his party is deeply divided. They're going to make demands of him that he can't deliver on because, as you see, they're getting wilder and wilder. Um, He's not going to be able to deliver on those demands in the Senate or as president. And I could see how he would turn into Lyndon Johnson pretty quickly. Listen, I I 100 percent agree. And the thing is, we're not used to gridlock in Washington. We're used to such a smooth running machine. If he's having trouble (laughs) passing anything, it'll really be it'll be crazy. What will Brad talk about? Be a real different mood in Washington after all of our can-do bipartisanship down here. Just (laughs) move over to gridlock. I don't know. Yeah. So you got to help me with this because I'm at a loss. I've asked everybody what this means, and I'm willing to be not cool, very cool, uncool, whatever it takes. But Chris Darwell, this is a cry for help. And uh, this is the statement I can't get my head around. Let this moment radicalize you. We need to focus on voting for Joe Biden. I don't care if you like him or not. This is not over. You know, we win in November. I'm sorry to tell you, you're not going back to brunch. We're not going back to brunch. That's not happening. Okay. Why can't I have brunch? Like, why do do I have to make a choice? You don't strike. You strike me as an early mass, not a brunch guy. Are you a brunch person? I, I you know what? When I have control of my schedule, sure. And I You're don't, I don't want to be told okay. I can't have brunch. Like, why well, can't I, I have think, brunch? I don't think you were the target for her message. I think so. Here's here's the deal. What does it mean? Have you have, have any of your brands, the brands that you use, told you to register to vote lately? Have you received any emails or notices on apps? that you should register to vote? Have you gotten this lately? Okay, so it's been national register for whatever. So every time you get a Uber Eats or you look at whatever, hey, register to vote, hey, register to vote. So this is the clicktivism 
right? This is the lazy activism of youth. And I'm not picking on these youths. All youths are bad at so at engagement politically. That's why older voters hold sway so often. That's why we're going to have another baby boomer, another term of a baby boomer president, whoever wins this election. Um, what Cortez knows is that all of the people who are having awesome likes on Instagram for all of these things about registering to vote, a lot of them are not likely to vote. And then those who are likely to vote, those who mail in a ballot or go vote, will immediately then scroll over to something else. And she wants those people to stay in a frothy froth and not believe that electing Joe Biden is right and left is always. And yeah, I'm, I'm losing it. Uh, I, you, we're going in and out, but I still want brunch. Um, and even and, and I am registered to vote. I, I can do both. I can do you both. You can brunch on the same day. Yes, I, I just think so. We're not going back to brunch. How dare she? Meanwhile, that's where she made most of her money, <laughs> afternoon bartending, probably on brunch. Bottomless mimosas. That was a killer. Yeah, exactly. and Funny Mary. Exactly. <laughs> Those are no the justice. days when she was bartending. Life was simpler. <laughs> Chris, thanks so much. Thank you, doctor. All right. I'll be back in just a moment with uh, all your calls. one 408 We'll talk about that. Uh, we'll also talk about the, the Supreme Court justice seat and what you expect in the debate. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Brian Kilmeade, going to finish up this hour in great fashion with you and more uh, more news stories from around the country, around the world. Uh, Pat, listen to WABC in Nutley, New Jersey. Pat, thanks for your patience. Hey, Brian, how are you? I just uh, wanted to make a comment. Uh, I just read stories and, and saw some uh, news video with respect to the Italian election that recently took place in uh, People went to the polls and actually followed safety protocols. Uh, they had uh, 65% of the electorate turning out to vote in person. They actually had um, volunteers going to hospitals and homes to uh, receive votes of people that were quarantining or sick with COVID. And I, I just find it interesting that we can't follow safety protocols here. And, uh, yeah, we can, person. and we do, and we're able to pull it off. All we have to do is set up the protocols. The, the, in New York in particular, they're going to use the National Guard. The National Guard can't open up and be poll workers if we needed them in different locations to fan out so people don't have to wait on lines forever. We could put little circles on the ground like they do in the bank, like they do in my workplace. We could do all that, but instead it's, well, I don't know, it's too dangerous. I don't think I'm going to go. If you have pre-existing conditions, you feel you're susceptible, you're uh, or obese, you feel as though you're you're a target. Got it. Let's do. Let's request an absentee ballot. If not, go. And if you need to make it all weekend, I'm for that. That would have been an adjustment. I'm for. But sending all of us ballots is, especially you in New Jersey. We just had. I told you this, and I'm going to keep saying it just in case people missed it. Governor Christie said, "I tried for eight years to clean up the voter rolls. I can't." But Murphy, who hasn't tried, is sending everybody a ballot. Good luck with that. We move on the average every two years. Fred, Florida. Hey, Fred. Hey, I'm just disappointed that the 
president is participating in this identity politics with the Supreme Court pick. He's obviously not interested in getting the very best candidate. He's interested in getting the best woman candidate. Yeah, I, I know. He, he, hey, Fred, normally people don't say it. They just do it. But now he did it. Uh, but it is he knew it was going to be a woman. So, you know, the, on the other side, you see Joe Biden. I'm going to have a minority woman. Uh, he, he put himself into a corner as a running mate. And now he says the next Supreme Court justice will be an African-American woman. So he's done it again. I know what you're saying, but everyone does it. He's the one who just said it out loud. Travis, Iowa. Travis. Hi, Brian. Um, oh, hi, Brian. Uh, I just um, wanted to talk to you that uh, I'm a little concerned as a uh, mixed-race employee with Wells Fargo that we're going to be introducing anti-racist training. And from my understanding, is it's racism – of a, of a different nature. And this is all stemming from a lawsuit that was brought on by black investors regarding uh, comments that uh, Charlie Scharf mentioned uh, earlier this year in June. It's happening everywhere. And, Push back, tape it, yeah. and, and publicize it. No, racial awareness, nothing wrong with that. But if you have an agenda and you have to walk in and apologize because you're a certain skin color or ethnic background, that's where you lose me. Uh, because most of us are not racist, we're not sexist, we're not misogynist, and we don't want to be accused of it. And that's what a lot of these things end up doing. Uh, the white fragility books, all that, admit uh, admit your every ha- – tell us a hundred ways in which you're racist and didn't know it until now. Uh, you lost me on the topic sentence. Uh, so that's true. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. A loafnik makes a major comeback amidst the pandemic. This no surprise. So much for the 200-person guest list and the tens of thousands of dollars in bills. Couples canceling their big days, but they want to get married anyway, and they're tired of waiting, uh, Allison, right? They're not going to wait another year. Yeah, no, or just, I mean, it makes sense, right? You can get away, you sort of have the honeymoon and wedding in one. And I think people, too, are going, wait a second, I can keep the money if I don't go out and have a wedding? So maybe it might be financial, the elopement, you go do it, and you get on with your life. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there could be a balance, right, depending on how generous your guests would have been, the money you save versus the money you would have gotten from gifts. That's how I feel. Next, New York City subway crime rate spikes while the MIPD arrests plummet. Okay, you just answered the problem. It's The ridership is down 75%. But yet, the NYPD subway arrests fell by 80%, summonsins dropped by 95%, yet crime is up. With 206 major felonies, it is crazy. I take the subway maybe once or twice a week. I never feel as though I really know what planet I'm on. Really? But have you seen an increase in crime or just seems empty and weird? No one has a job. People just meandering. There's none of that urgency of get on quicker. You're not going to be able to get on this car. It's like a different city, but I um, say that every day. But you've said that you're the only one in a suit. Do you feel now like you're a target because you are the only one in a suit? I think people are jealous because not only that, I smell nice. Uh, and I've made an effort. But I'm like almost everybody so else. So have, have people been sniffing you? Not that I can tell. Okay. But with the mask on, a lot of times you do smell yourself <laughs> way too much. So you think you smell good. Right. And I had more stuff, but you got me sidetracked with all this how do I look and how do I smell? You started talking about smelling good. Uh, how dare you? We're going to go in rehearsal next time. I'm going to go over my rules, my do's and don'ts. Uh, hey, thanks so much for everybody for listening. Keep it here on the Brian Kilmeade Show and uh, BrianKilmeadeShow.com to, to get it live on the stream. And, of course, get the podcast.
Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.